0: Next is school board candidate Elizabeth Stevens. As always, the Lawrence Talks podcast is brought to you in part thanks to our partners at the University of Kansas and Douglas County CASA. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and online at lawrencetalks.org. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Elizabeth, thank you for joining me here today.
1: Glad to be here.
0: And so to begin, can you start uh, by telling our audience a little bit about yourself and uh, who you are?
1: So my name is Elizabeth Stevens. I am originally from Lawrence, Kansas. I grew up in North Lawrence and went to Lawrence schools my academic career. I'm also the mother of four students of uh, Lawrence Public Schools. So I've really gotten an opportunity to see what education is like here in Lawrence, both as a student and as, as a parent really excited to be, to be here and to be speaking with you. And this is a great opportunity.
0: Next, I asked Elizabeth whether she thought having children in the public school system added any perspective to the job of school board member.
1: Yeah, I think that, um, as a school, I don't think it's necessary, right? So I think that some people, I'm a firm believer that each person has something to bring to the table. Different, the more diversity we have within any of our governing bodies, the better off we are. I will say that from my, from my experience, having had children go through Lawrence public schools, and I've had kids who, you know, my, my two oldest children went through private school sector and then into public schools. Having had that experience has given me a realistic, maybe a better perspective on what education is like here in Lawrence from a parent's perspective. And then also as a student myself, big piece of I guess one of the things that I that I witnessed or that I've seen is what it looks like when a parent doesn't feel like they can advocate for their child in the way that they want to because maybe they aren't feeling empowered or they don't feel like they their voices will be heard or they simply don't know who to ask or who to go to. So that I think that understanding those challenges and seeing those perspectives and bringing that to a board is really important.
0: And uh, what? Compelled you to run this time around? Um, What were the uh, particular issues or concerns that really motivated you to to run for office?
1: Yeah, so I think that you know I never thought that I could ever do anything like this. So, like I mentioned, I'm I'm from North Lawrence, grew up on food stamps, and lived in public housing at some point at you know particular times, and you know, so the idea, so growing up, I never thought that my voice mattered or that my voice was any, was a voice that would be heard. So going through, I went through a couple of different, you know, leadership conferences and um, educational opportunities. And so I had a person suggest, Hey, why don't you, you ever thought about running? I thought, wow, that's a novel idea. So I, <laughs> you know, and I did, I, I think that for me, what I, when I look at our governing structures, and not just school board, right? When I look at all of our local governing structures, there's a lack of diversity that I notice. And we like to talk about diversity, but do we actually implement it in a way that's neat? And when we talk about diversity, do we look at what all that encompasses? Racial diversity, socioeconomic diversity, educational diversity. Those are some areas that we have to really look at and look at our governing structures and say, hey, how can we more accurately depict our community? Um, and so my, my reasoning for running was, you know what? I do have a voice. I have a voice that have, like that of many parents and many community members um, who maybe didn't think they, that their voice could be, would be valued. I think uh, I can bring something to the table and speak up for those who otherwise wouldn't be heard
0: with with that in mind uh are you at all encouraged by by the pool of candidates for both i think the commission and
1: the school board this year so that's really exciting you know like when i when i look at so the cool thing is is that you know looking at city commission candidates and it's fantastic to see so many people of color stepping up and and making their voices heard right like that's it makes me really proud to see that and i'm Really, It makes me really excited to see that as well. Um, school board, I think, you know, we've got some really great candidates also. And folks who genuinely care about what it is that they're doing, right? Like there's no, there's none of the candidates that I've seen or that I've interacted with currently, none of them are are doing this for their own personal benefit, right? Like this is a non, this is, isn't a paid position. These are people who genuinely care about the well-being of kids in our community and their education. So it's been really cool to watch folks, you know, stepping up and um, stepping into the arena. Right. And anytime that you do something new and you do something different, there's always going to be somebody who has a negative comment or has a, wants to say something disparaging, but man, I think it's pretty exciting.
0: Yeah, no, agreed. I think uh, just seeing the, the pull of candidates and the, the voices that I think have been part of both campaigns is definitely uh, some uh, serves as some some amount of progress. Um, and I think that the trick would be to maintain uh, yeah, the uh, participation going forward.
1: Well, and we have to do that. I think that an important thing is, is that not only do we have to make sure that that continues to move forward, but we also have to do. We also have to really put supports in place for folks to be successful. Right? So when you are when you're a person of color and you're doing something that no other person of color has done or maybe there are very few people of color that have done that, you're doing something that is it's unknown territory. So we as a community and whether that's, you know, other minorities or other people of color, we have to help support folks. We have to provide places for people to, to talk people for places to connect because it is something. And when you're stepping out and doing something completely new, it's territory that's unfamiliar and having those that understand the many barriers that people of color face. It's uh it's an incredible asset.
0: Sort of switching, switching gears slightly. What purpose do you think uh, education serves in the life of, 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 children or especially, uh, public school children. Um, and then, uh, and then basically what, what does it, uh, what does a good education come down to?
1: Yeah. So I, I, that's a great question. I don't think there's one answer for either of those. I think that education, the importance of education is identified by the individual and what that education life looks like. is also identified by the individual. So, you know, Lawrence is an academic, community. We have a great university here in Lawrence. It's phenomenal. Folks from my generation, I know that at least once again, only speaking for myself, we backtrack. I, the narrative that I heard was that you, you know, if you don't go to college, you'll never get a good job. You'll never, you'll never move forward in life and you'll never do something different. I think that that narrative obviously has changed, right? We see folks, lots of folks that have crippling student loan debt, people who, you know, especially people in Lawrence, when I think about social service sector, people with master's degrees uh, being paid at entry level wages. It, and we're not, it's not exclusive to Lawrence. This is nationwide. So I think that we need to change the narrative about what education looks like. There's lots of, there's real life education. There's your day-to-day skills. I didn't learn how well Back in my day, you balance. <laughs> God, I feel terrible saying that. Um, but I mean, like learning how to balance the checkbook, right? Like that was a thing that you know I, I didn't learn in school. Did anybody teach me about retirement, about investments, um, money management, financial literacy? In and of itself, that was nothing ever learned that I was ever taught in public school that would have totally been useful. Uh, as a young adult and as an adult now. But I think also, you know, we also have a whole technical field that we as a society have a hard time filling those technical roles. So plumbers, electricians, welders, all of these things, which is skilled labor. And a lot of times some of our folks can't find replacements because there's been this narrative that if you do something with your hands, it's not as valuable as going to school, going to a four-year university. And that narrative is just not true. I think that placing more value and accessibility on technical education is a critical piece that we need to improve on. It's not to say that, you know, if, if a student chooses to go to, you know, a four-year institution, great, do that. If that, if another student chooses to go to go you know, obtain technical education. Great. Do that too. But there's choice in there. That's the big component is that there's choice and an exposure. We've, we've made it clear to kids or to youth that these skills are valuable.
0: Yeah. And I think what it also, in a, in a way that, so that approach to, as you mentioned, cause I think I was, it wasn't too different for me either growing up that Uh, college was pushed, uh, by my parents and everyone uh, around us, like the, uh, the practical things, um, like, as you mentioned, balancing a checkbook that, that went, the only thing I remember, the only thing I recall, maybe there was more involved in discussion, but was how to write a check. That seems to be all that I remember. And actually, that's something <laughs> that's very dangerous because it, the tel- it kind of signals that the only important thing about you need to know about a check is how to write it.
1: Yeah, and you're right. The message that that sends, right? You need to know how. It's important for you to know how to spend that money, not manage that money. Like that's the, that's the message that we're getting sent. That's getting sent. And if and if you live in poverty, like this, you know, that's we could go on for days about about that, but. Understanding how to manage, you know, if you if you come from a background like I did, where, you know, money was scarce, right? If somebody got a $10 an hour job, you're like, oh my gosh, they're doing really great things. Look at them, they're doing great stuff. 10 bucks an hour, that's awesome. So when money is scarce, teaching someone how to manage money and to balance finances who's never had any or never been exposed to any is like speaking an entirely different language. So encouraging, trying to encourage that kid. Like if, you know, would have been me to, Hey, you know, Elizabeth, you're going to learn how to write this check and you're going to learn how to, you know, and then you use it at the grocery store or whatever. Well, cool. But I have, I would have been completely lost. And I think a lot of kids are, cause you have, it's a critical skill. Money management is something that we don't teach. Um, and so critical skill.
0: And so this next question at first it might it may sound uh, a bit straightforward but so this is a question about what you take to be the purpose of your role as a member of the school board
1: so it's, it's a really great question you know naturally I am someone who asks questions um, sometimes I ask questions that aren't really comfortable and challenge the norm I, I see I guess you know one of the things that I see is, is me bringing to the table is having a that lived experience, the lived experience of being someone who's you know grown up, you know, a brown female from North Florence that has experienced poverty, being a single mom, all of these experiences and, and working with folks who continue or who have who live in poverty. I think that naturally has makes me question why. We write policies the way that we do, why we implement structure in the way that we do, and accountability, right? Like, I, I see myself asking a lot of those questions and collaborating. Collaborating is being, you know, being able to hear. I think one of the things that we we see a lot in politics, which is crazy that school board is, is politics, right? Like, that seems like a weird thing to me. But... Here we are. So, but there's this thing where that we like to do where, you know, we like to pick apart other candidates or our competitors or, you know, folks like to, well, this person did this, this person thinks this. The reality of it is, is that we have to be able to listen to each other to and allow ourselves to be questioned. Allow ourselves like, hey, I've got this idea. This is what I'm thinking. What are your thoughts? And be teachable. So collaborating and continuing to hear each other out is something that is also really important to me. Don't think that we're able to really move things forward or challenge policies and procedures if we're not able to listen to each other and come together as a collective unit.
0: That actually gets, uh, gets me into the next sort of, question. Because as you mentioned, one thing that sets the school board apart from other sort of bodies, um, the commission is another example of this, is that it's by its very nature collaborative. It's you you have to convince the other members of, or at least discuss with them why you think a particular way and why they think a particular way. And in the event that you find an issue uh, that you have a, a sort of a definitive thought or policy recommendation, uh, recommendation or preference for a given issue. How do you hope to work through convincing others of of, of your pers- or that your perspective is worth taking into account?
1: You know, I think that there are lots of ways to go about making yourself heard, and if there's anything that I know by coming from the background that I come from. Is that sometimes in order to make your voice heard, you've got to be willing to put a little bass in your voice and, um, and, and, and not, and not, and not back down. Right. There's, I think there's a difference between being firm in where you stand on something and, and still being able to collaborate. Right. So I think for me, one of the things that I really, you know, that, that I value is when a person is able to be consistent with where they stand and honest, right? Like if you're you're honest and you're coming from a good place when you speak and you speak with conviction, then that comes across. I don't think that there's room, especially in something like school board that affects so many people. Like there's, there's no room for, you know, for... <laughs> politics, right? Like there's no room for making sure that you say the right thing to get people to believe you or, or doing the right thing. Like that's, I think where a lot of this stuff gets flawed is that then that we start to get into this weird manipulative kind of thing when in reality, what we need to do is if we stand true to our convictions of who we are and what we're about, that comes through more clearly than any kind of persuasive argument. So I think that you know my approach is always to push the lived experience. What's the lived experience of whatever the issue is? You know, if we're talking about, you know, high risk or kids skipping school, right? What's the lived experience of that kid? Why is that kid skipping school? And that's the thing that we need to communicate because that's the underlying issue. Clearly communicating that in a way that's honest I think speaks way more than any kind of I keep thinking of these instances where I've had interactions with folks who, you know, write down or write down answers or give the answers that they think people want to hear, right? So when they're like, "Well, why did you run for school board?" Well, I ran for school board because the, I mean, you know, like it, it, it seems contrived and it doesn't seem genuine. Whenever I listen to folks who speak genuinely and speak from the heart, I take that I'm much more open to listening. You know, we kind of have an obligation. You know, let's change the way that we do things. We don't have to do this thing where, you know, we say the things that we that we think people want to hear us say. We can do things differently. We can change the narrative and change how we do business and change how we collaborate with each other. Yeah, I don't know. I I think that's I think being true to who you are and what you're about speaks volumes.
0: Changing gears from that a little bit. You mentioned you grew up in Lawrence, and I like to think that, you know, spending a good deal of time in any city puts someone in a a position, in a better position to understand what the values of the community are. And so with that in mind, what do you take to be the values of the Lawrence community as it might pertain to education?
1: You know, I think that you're going to have a very different answer depending on who you talk to. I think that when you're talking to, so Lawrence as a whole, you know, having, you know, grown up in Lawrence and, and then traveling, right. So traveling amongst the state of Kansas, um, you know, really fortunate, um, Lawrence is a community that comparatively accepts, you know, diversity celebrates, um, different cultures, a community that there's someone who needs help. We can call you know, there's there's lots of resources available, and that's very different from other communities, right? So if you go to Kansas City, Kansas or Wichita, Kansas, it's much more difficult, right? The values of Lawrence, I think we're still Midwest, right? We're still we're still in the Midwest. I think that our values, much like the a lot of the country, are kind of in there's two very distinct thought processes. The really great thing about Lawrence is that there's a lot of folks who want to see that unity come together again and with regard to education i think we the our community genuinely wants to see education accessible to everyone wants to see you know that graduation those graduation rates for children of color to to continue to to go up they want to see our kids stay in the brick and mortar schools, not do remote if, if we can avoid it, right? Those are some of the values that, that I think that our community faces as a whole. But I, I also think that's going to be really different when you go from pocket to pocket. Um, everybody has their own values when it comes to education. But I think um, also one of the things that I hear from a lot of folks is that You know, our trade skills um, section is something that we've got to do a better job at promoting. We have to do a better job at communicating the value of those trade skills. Um, There's lots of folks who are from Lawrence who have no affiliation with KU, um, who own their own businesses, who, you know, maybe they're plumbers. Maybe they, you know, own a restaurant or you know, folks who have no affiliation to the university and have wonderful lives and would love to see students be given, would love to see that highlighted in a student's educational journey, just as much as that four-year university.
0: Yeah. I think uh, that sort of speaks again to I mean, something that's coming out consistently, and I think in our conversation today is not uh, sort of diversity, but also, uh, and not just representation of who's on the, who might serve on the board, but also um, of what people see and uh, learn about in the classroom. That it's not just about, um, you know, going to college and the particular topics or or, uh, schools you might go into for that, but also that there are other ways to live a life. There are other ways, uh, to, there are other types of lives to pursue besides an academic one or one that requires you to go to, to college.
1: Absolutely. We, you know, we, and we're in Kansas, right? Like we're in a huge ag community, like or maybe Lawrence, you know, isn't as much of an agricultural community as the rest of the state, but hello, like we're surrounded by agriculture. <laughs> like this, this is something like if a kid Comes from you know. It, there's lots of ways to go about encouraging. You know, we need farmers. We need people who are able to do. Um, you who are able to farm, and I know nothing about farming, so I'm not going to try and throw out terms because I don't know anything about that. But, but I know that that work is incredibly valuable, and people live meaningful, fantastic lives doing that work. Um. So, yeah, let's I think, you know, when I was in school, we had um, FFA Future Farmers of America. I don't know if that's a thing here in Lawrence still or not, but these kids, you know, I remember there being kids who, you know, would come to school and they had matching jackets. And it was like this whole thing. I thought it was super cool and got to have matching jackets. Um, but then they they like raised farm animals like that was like part of like one of the things that they had to do, which is the coolest thing ever. Right. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to raise a pig. It's an awesome. It's a fantastic thing. Like know where your food comes from. I thought it was awesome. I hope it's still around.
0: Our sort of conversation about you know the various types of lives people can pursue um, gets me into this conversation about a particular aspect of the five-year plan for the school board um, that mentions greater attention to the well-being of both students and staff. And as I've come to find in my Own line of work, you know, talking about well being can be, can get pretty abstract. um, And it's kind of hard to pin down because it's not the same thing for everyone. So, as as you vie for a a part, a spot on the school board, uh, what sort of thoughts about, you know, well being for students and
1: staff will you take with you? For me, my priorities will always lie with marginalized populations. Um, I think that when we invest in those who are in the margins we better ourselves as, as a community um, so for me I look at you know if we're if we want to improve the well-being of um, district staff um, and students we have to do a better job at supporting our paraeducators and our uh, supportive staff so we know that, Para, you know, para educators really touch the lives of some of our most vulnerable youth, but we also know that they're paid eleven dollars an hour, um, which nobody can. You know, you're not going to be able to live on eleven dollars an hour very well. Um, So we have to do. We have to work to change that compensation structure. Not only change that compensation compensation structure, but invest in folks. Folks perform well when they feel invested in. And they feel like there's somebody who believes in them. So can we provide educational opportunities for, for you know, paraeducators? Are there additional trainings that we can do? Looking at those kinds of things, do they, you know, is this person able to meet their core needs um, as an employer? If we have a huge section of our staff who's not able to meet their basic needs, then there's a pretty big problem and quality of life and well-being is going to directly be impacted. So to me, that's where we start. We we start there. Parents also support teachers. I mean, so everything is connected. I think for students, there's a collaborations that we've been doing for quite some time with um, the RAP program at Burt Nash, which is a phenomenal program and places um, social workers in schools across the district. I would love, love, love to see more social workers in schools, social workers providing services. Maybe we move away from an SRO and we bring social workers in. Maybe that's something that we, um, or maybe we, it's an SRO with a social work background. I mean, you know, get super specific, right? But I think that, you know, we have to have more people who are willing to ask the why for kids to be successful, to ask a kid, you know, the kid that goes to Free State and goes and hangs out under the bridge by Sprouts. Like, hey, how's what's going on in your life? Like, what's going on? Um, just to have that question. Right. Like, we we have to we have to do a better job at that. And I'd sure love to see you know, I'd love to see more social workers in place.
0: Well, uh, Elizabeth, before I, I let you go officially, what would you like our listeners to take away from our conversation today about you and, and the campaign you're running?
1: You know, I thought about early on in in this process, folks try to say, you know, what's your why? What's your why? And I go back to, and when I think about why I'm running and and the and the purpose, I'm from here. This is my community. This is where I grew up. This is where I made mistakes. This is where I raised my children. We like to talk about engaging unusual voices. We like to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. But are we really implementing actions that are impactful and that speak to those issues? I'm the only candidate who's from Lawrence, which is really interesting, right? Because we have a lot of people running. Um, so we have six candidates uh, within school board, and I'm the only person who's from Lawrence. To me, that sounds like there's a, a it's an interesting narrative there. I, I want to. I come from a popul- from a from people who work their tails off. I come from folks come from a place that I know what it's like to be to experience poverty, to be a single parent, and to grow and to change. And how valuable that lived experience is, and that it belongs. In our governing structures. So, if there's anything that I would like people to take away, it would be that I understand on a very different level and truly believe that in order to make policy and procedure and implement said policy and procedure in a way that's meaningful, we have to diversify our structures. And I hope to do that with the school board.
0: Well, Elizabeth, uh, thank you for, for joining me uh, today and talking about you and the sort of ideas and values and, and uh, other things you hope to take with you as a, um, for you to be voted in as a member of the school board. So thank you.
1: Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for having me.